0: Live from
1: Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and window, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring commentary by Professor Phil Beverly, Peter Hanna from the ACLU and the Chicago Kent College of Law, Nick Calm, Republican from Reputation Partners, and Republican attorney Josh Cantrell. Our program tonight coming to you from our new home studios at the Paul and Angel Harvey Radio Center at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in downtown Chicago. Our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-829. That's 1-800-723-829 if you'd like to email me a comment. It's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. you want to tweet me a comment, it's at DUMO, at D-U-M-O. And of course, you can find this program, past and future programs at beyondthebeltway.com. And also, we are live on Facebook. And on YouTube. And again, we thank you very much for joining us. Happy Father's Day! If you are a father, uh, happy Father's Day to you. And again, uh, we hope that you have celebrated. Uh, if your father is still with you, that you have celebrated and you've shared with him uh, how important he is in your life. Uh, let me mention also something for for longtime listeners to this program. And again, this program in a couple of weeks is going to celebrate its 39th anniversary on the year uh, on the year. There's there's one thing I recall, and this goes back almost well over 20 years ago. I want to say 20, maybe 22 years ago. Uh, we used to have a guest by the name of Lou Cook, who was a a very progressive uh, professor, a good friend of mine. Actually, he was a professor of mine at Columbia College a long, long time ago, and he used to be on this program frequently because he was very upset that the United States government was not treating hacking seriously and he would say repeatedly whenever he was on this show bruce the fbi has no clue what's going on they've got to hire you know 12 or 13 year old hackers to teach them what's going on in the world they they are literally behind the eight ball now again that was that was mentioned on this show well over 20 years ago so tonight i don't see this program is necessarily a a liberal versus conservative discussion tonight it's really for everybody because i want to know more about cyber security we've heard so much about you know who was responsible for what what launched the uh, investigation into president trump and you know how much was responsible for the obama administration how much you know has the uh, as the trump administration screwed it up uh so my question tonight is is really a broad this is a this is a primer this is an opportunity to learn something about a subject that's very important to us and i want to begin with uh, with Peter Hanna. Uh Peter is uh, with the Chicago Kent College of Law and he's also with the ACLU and before you turn your 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 mind off uh the ACLU on this subject has some very important things to say as they do on privacy. So i want to i want to begin and and get everybody's reaction to what my friend Lou Cook said to me 20 years ago. I mean, have we really blown it?
2: So thanks for having me back, Bruce. Um, And, you know, I think what I would urge all your listeners to uh, to think about is um, Bob Mueller's closing words at his, uh, you know, non-press conference, which were effectively... That what we saw in 2016 was a multi-pronged, mul- you know, multiple systematic efforts to interfere in our elections. I think 20 years ago, Professor uh, Liu was on point. There were multiple attempts via hacking, and other means to interfere with our, our elections. 20 years from now, there will be the same sorts of attempts because we're the most powerful country on earth, and the decisions that you know occur here uh, have ramifications everywhere. Um, so we'll always be talking about it. But what's important and critical now. Put aside, I mean, I think obviously this president is part of criminal conspiracy inclusion, but Put aside that because the bigger point is our very democracy is under attack when we're not protected and not taking steps to protect ourselves and the integrity of our election system. And I think that is exactly why this is a broadly bipartisan or nonpartisan issue. Our cybersecurity, particularly on our election infrastructure is of paramount importance to the health and longevity of our democracy.
1: Would you acknowledge, though, that literally we go, we could go back five or six administrations and they would all have culpability that they didn't prepare the country?
2: I, I think to varying degrees, yes. But the attacks that we've seen in 2016 and in 2018 are obviously the most sophisticated we've seen. They're multi. Pronged, They come from multiple sources. They're hard to trace. And we have not done enough legislatively to protect against these much more sophisticated attacks.
1: Josh Cantrell joins us uh, with all the disciplines of law. Uh, cybersecurity is one of your areas of focus and your regular guest on this program. Yes. What was it about cybersecurity that made you say, this is a discipline of law that I want to study?
3: I did... Um What's known as the secondment in London about uh, 16 years ago, where I worked in-house for a uh, a Lloyd's syndicate uh, backed by Warren Buffett, which was one of the first syndicates to write cybersecurity policies. This was back in 2002. Mm -hmm. So this was very, very early. And I got to be involved and see that how US businesses needed protection against this. It was very hard to sell cybersecurity insurance policies um, for many, many years. That is no longer the case now with all the publicity. <clears throat> so it's an interesting area. It reaches into so many different areas of the law. And it's something that we still, <clears throat> so many people are still not aware of. When I speak at industry conferences, uh, mm-hmm. there is still a lack of knowledge and awareness and education which concerns me a great deal. Mm -hmm. Phil Beverly uh, from uh, UIC,
1: about to be in the fall. You're going to UIC in Chicago. And uh, currently in the past, you have taught uh, classes on Department of Homeland Security. Mm -hmm. So what is it that concerns you most about what you know, based on what's come out of the Mueller report, and based on a rather spotty track record of the United States over the last, let's say, 20 years in protecting the american people
4: uh from cyber attack so uh, bruce there's two things one is sort of backward looking the other one is more forward looking so the backward looking um peter mentioned the the political implications of our lack of cybersecurity, and i would posit that that's only really the tip of the iceberg that and that's what i think has gotten people's attention i think the um the risks to our critical infrastructure—our power grid, our gas, natural gas lines, our transportation grid—that is all networked. That's to me what's at greater risk. And I think when you're when you're dealing with with adversaries, potentially in Iran, uh, Syria, uh, North Korea that's asymmetrical combat for them. They're never gonna fight us straight up because we would crush them, obviously. But they know that we have much more reliance on that kind of infrastructure, and so that infrastructure is weak. On the future-looking side, I'm really concerned about whether our, our educational system, especially higher ed, is up to the task of turning out, it sounds militaristic, but cyber warriors. We, we will need for the foreseeable future, a large number of folks in this industry.
1: When we come back, we're going to hear from Nick Kahn and we're going to talk about a variety of other things. 1 800 723 n Got lots of uh, expertise around the table this evening talking about cybersecurity. Most importantly, how can we p- protect the election that's coming up? And also, uh, how do we protect uh, our, our capitalist system against cyber attack? I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us on Father's Day. 2019.
5: My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion.
6: I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family.
7: America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives.
8: I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home.
7: At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned.
8: I'm a veteran, and
3: my victory was finishing my education.
7: DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation.
3: My victory was getting my service dog and new best
7: friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges.
9: My victory is being able to be there for my family.
7: When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.
1: Bruce DeMont back in Chicago, and uh, Nick com who's with Reputation Partners, joins us. and. Uh, Basically, you work with corporations that need to have their reputation repaired, and a lot of corporations have had major problems involving uh, cybersecurity. So to what extent is America, corporate America tuned in to what the problem is and aware of what the possible solutions might be?
10: Mm. I think more and more there is an awareness of that. Uh, One of the things that uh, Josh was talking about off air, which is right on, is that cybersecurity and paying for cybersecurity policies is now not a hard sell for insurance companies. But despite that, I don't think the investment that companies are making in this area is still up to the challenge because there's still so much that's going on. And part of what's happening now too is the hackers are moving from some of the Fortune 50 companies down to the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, small and medium-sized businesses as well because it's a matter of making a quick hit, making the money, and moving on.
1: Who are the hackers? Can Can we define or make a list of who the hackers are either either what part of the world they're from, Josh or, the, or Peter?
3: They originally, uh, it was a lot of Eastern Europe and former Soviet bloc countries. As those countries were, descent, uh, as the Soviet Union was disintegrating, um, there was a lot of that going on and lawlessness. But China is the big problem now because what China's doing is they are hacking and they're stealing our intellectual property mm-hmm. and that is a big big issue
1: peter what would
2: you add to that i mean hackers uh people we we think hackers would do damage they're everywhere they're ubiquitous there in south america asia i think what what josh pointed out and appropriately so is in china the state has moved to kind of standardize a lot of the tools and training and education necessary to have a force of people who, at any moment, can be mobilized by the state to perform either state-on-state actions or corporate espionage. Um, you know, 20 years ago, me in my basement, like connecting to IRC and stuff, I was a hacker. But hmm. at the point that we're at now, you know, there are NSA tools that are out there in the public domain that you know anyone who has rudimentary knowledge of uh, you know computer systems and network architecture could use. So. I mean, the, the the situation has changed significantly from you know 10, 20 years ago. Oh, I want no, to come back go to go what sorry. Nick.
10: I was just going to say I want to come back to what Phil was talking about before the break too, specifically the threat to infrastructure and so forth. Mm. Who knows where those are coming from? Yes, I think there's certainly a state-sponsored aspect to that, but that is a very real risk that we as a society have. And to your point, Bruce, in the intro, in terms of it being a nonpartisan issue, it absolutely should be. All it's going to take. We saw yesterday what happened with Target, itself, the subject of a huge data breach about two or three years ago. But all it would take would be a state-sponsored electromagnetic pulse that we would all life in the Western Hemisphere, as we know it, would cease to exist. We are so dependent on electronics, and there is such an opportunity that bad actors have against our government and our way of life that we need to be much more vigilant about. Whatever we're spending on that, I mean, you think about the amount of money that our government spends on tanks and fighter jets and all of that, and of course that's important. We absolutely need to have a modern army, but I feel like, and modern uh, armed forces, but we are, I think, way behind where Russia is, where China is, where Iran even is in terms of the kind of damage that they want to do to yes. us, not just on the battlefield. Do do we need a newer agency? Uh, you know, again, 20 years ago
1: when Lou Cook was on this program, uh, he focused on the FBI, said so that they, they were just not up to speed on what the problem is. Do we need another agency other than what we have, the FBI, the CIA, the NSA? that will focus exclusively on this, or do we need a, a, a recalibration of what their roles are, Phil? I, th- I think
4: that we have adequate sort of structural resources. I think what's absent, though, is political will. Mm-hmm. And if, if you don't have the will coming from the highest levels in, in both um, segments of government, the Congress has to be engaged in this. And I, I think they've been sort of asleep at the switch both parties. I think the White House has to be much more engaged and not after the fact, after something happens. This is a this is a 24/7 365 thing. You have to be there all the time. And I hate to say it, I'll
10: pick up on let me just pick up on Phil's comment yeah. there. I think if you look at what happened with 9/11 and before 9/11, September 10th, 2001 and prior to that, it took that kind of a catastrophic event to awaken people for the need for coordination among yeah, the various aspects of our national security. I hope it doesn't take that kind of a tragedy for us to wake up here, I agree with Phil's point. To, to Phil's point,
3: I, I want to agree with it and I want to give an example of how I hate to say ignorant so many in Congress are about this issue. One mm-hmm. only has to look at the Facebook hearings when they were questioning Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> and yeah. Sheryl Sandberg. I mean. These senators had no idea. They couldn't formulate questions, and it was embarrassing. They didn't understand the basic architecture of technology. Now, look, we don't necessarily need each congressman to be an expert in cybersecurity, but we need them to understand the risk to the country so that appropriate dollars are are spent. I've been saying for years I'm all for a big defense budget, but you know what? Defense now is increasingly cybersecurity to Nick's point earlier. We spent seventeen or for this fiscal year, seventeen point four billion has been allocated to cybersecurity on a federal level across that's a number nothing. of agencies. That's not enough. That's that's woefully inadequate. And that was a bipartisan. Does everybody deal. agree with that? Yes. That's that's Yeah.
4: That's a that's nothing. In a in a three trillion dollar budget? Yeah. That's right. nothing. It's nothing. When these things happen, by the way,
1: what is the role of, of, of non-state-sponsored uh, cyber attacks?
2: I mean, a lot of the time, it's just seeking enrichment. You know, it's just seeking a mm-hmm. quick buck. Mm-hmm. So you could install ransomware on someone's computer, make them pay a ransom effectively to relinquish control. You know, you can do that with enough computers. You have like 100 grand, 200 grand in the bank, and that's that. You don't. You wait until you get the next NSA tool to do it again. So I think they're motivated a lot by, you know, the desire for Is money. that
1: easier to track? Is that what was behind the Sony attack several years ago?
2: Yes. I mean, that was part But it of was it. a
1: ransom attack, but, but it was also, wasn't that North Korea related?
2: Um, I think my understanding is like that some of the tools were like traced back to that. But ultimately, right. it was a bunch of folks who were trying to embarrass Sony um, and get a payday from them. But what's much more troubling is the attacks on infrastructure, the attacks on our election system, mm. and most troubling of all is you know the senators and congresses' just inability to understand how incredibly important this is. We have a lot of fat contractors who have been enriched for mm. decades on just you know tanks, airplanes, and treads yes. and airplanes. Those aren't the wars of the twenty first mm-hmm. century. Yeah. The wars of the twenty first century are going to be won at a computer. And
1: we lost the war recently in
2: Baltimore. Yeah,
1: or Baltimore did. What happened?
2: uh effectively the NSA tools uh, right in the NSA's backyard um were used against the town of Baltimore to install ransomware on a number of government computers uh the hackers asked for I think it was like like hundred something yeah 200, 100,
4: grand. 200 grand I think it was N- yeah. not much
2: a couple hundred thousand bucks which is a lot in the grand scheme of things but you know uh Baltimore refused to comply and ended up instead spending more than I believe 10 million dollars <laughs> on outside consultants to unlock their own computers. Now, had they spent a fraction of the millions or even a fraction of the hundreds of thousands on the front end to lock down and make sure that their Windows computers had the most recent security update, the taxpayers of of Baltimore and, and Maryland wouldn't be in this position.
3: Peter makes a good point. It's not just a federal issue. State and local governments have to allocate as well. Under our federal system, they have a responsibility to protect their citizens and their cities it, it's not just baltimore other cities and small towns have been hit as well is there with any, is impacts. there
1: is there any coordination is there any could anyone answer the question of the 50 states which state is the most sophisticated in protecting their citizens is there an easy answer to that question is there a way to judge I, it i don't new,
2: no. new york has established a couple of cybersecurity regulations but mainly they've been targeted towards the financial mm. uh Areas, But it's Mm -hmm. still, I I would say, a little bit ahead of the curve. But generally, I mean, it's it's one of those things that I think we are all kind of echoing the same thing. We tend to be Mm -hmm. reactive. We tend to wait for the bad thing to happen to then look back and say, we should have had more security. But you wouldn't wait for your house to get robbed to install an alarm system, but that's the way we manage our cybersecurity strategy in this country and at the state level and at the local level, and that, that has to change.
4: And unfortunately, at the at the state and local level, significant budget constraints in a lot of states are prohibiting that kind of investment. I mean, here in Illinois, where would we find the money at the state level <laughs> to invest in cybersecurity? Have we reached
1: a point, and then Ted Kaczynski might agree with saying? Mm. have we reached a point where To protect the consumer from what we don't know about the future and this this mystery and this this very real threat that we're all sharing tonight, have we reached a point where maybe people shouldn't buy on credit? Maybe they should go back to a bank account. Hmm. Maybe they should go back to everything that's done through the U.S. mail or through a phone call. And literally, I mean, it's going way, way back. But, I mean, you know, the, the, the ease with which I, I pay all of my bills and I, and I trust my Citibank security to handle my life's savings, I mean, um, am I making a mistake
10: by doing well, that? Well, society likes to make fun of people who are so-called survivalists. I think you were talking yeah. about Ted Kaczynski, right? Mm-hmm. But what Is it we, real? But what are we all going to do if there is an electromagnetic pulse and credit cards don't work? Cars don't work. Come to your house, ATMs don't work. Well, no, seriously. <laughs> it's like, what do we do? What do you yeah. do? Do you have a plan? I mean, everybody talks, and it's appropriate to talk about, you know, how do you meet your family if there's some sort of a natural right. disaster. A flood, right? But if all of a sudden we can't access any of the things that our whole society is dependent on, means of communication, means of transportation, means of accessing funds or whatnot, I mean, you're talking complete anarchy
2: then. So just to build on that there's some areas where there are better cybersecurity controls. The you know the financial industry and the credit card industry have self significantly you know significant and very high standards for how they regulate you know credit card transfers. But other areas were terrible. We've got to pause. Now
1: that you've scared the hell out
8: of everybody <laughs> <laughs>
9: Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power switch mobile phones and devices to power saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, Go to FCC.gov slash emergency.
2: i podcast right now about the Florida uh,
9: election 2000.
2: The VP, uh, VR, whatever it's called. Yeah. It's called
3: hey, Fiasco uh, by I, Luminary. Stand by. Do we want to go We're back? coming
1: back. I sure. Bruce Dumont back. Uh, we are live. 1-800-723-8029. I'd like to take a moment to let each of our guests introduce themselves. Give us a little 20-second uh bio, and we'll start with you, Nick Calm.
10: Sure. Uh, I am Nick Calm. I'm the founder and president of Reputation Partners. We're a strategic communications firm headquartered in Chicago, offices in Milwaukee as well. We do what you would expect a company that's called Reputation Partners do. Uh, does. We focus on enhancing, protecting, and rebuilding corporate and executive reputations.
1: When someone has destroyed a reputation for one of your clients Mm -hmm. are you able to track down who did it and why
10: Uh, not well we certainly don't have any kind of law enforcement uh, possibilities or international investigative properties but we are sometimes able sometimes they show themselves but more importantly we help the company or the organization figure out what to do about it how to prepare for it more importantly and then how to recover from it Josh Cantrell
3: Uh, I'm a lawyer with a uh, firm uh, here in Chicago, uh, headquartered in Los Angeles, and uh, I have practiced in the cybersecurity area, among a few other areas as well, privacy, and uh, I am co-chair of the firm's Biometric Information Privacy Act practice. I'm also a uh, Republican and uh, pro-Israel activist.
2: And Peter Hanna. Um, thanks, Bruce. My name is Peter Hanna. I'm an attorney, uh, private attorney, and I, I work often with uh, lawmakers, policymakers, and nonprofits, including BCLU, EFF, Center for Democracy and Technology, uh, deep Digital Privacy Alliance. Um, Interested in being a lawyer. My back. I have a background in electrical engineering, so I've been steeped in technology for many years. And I have a my practice is focused on uh, really the intersection of technology and law for uh, my whole career.
4: Phil Beverly. Thanks, Bruce. I'm. Uh on leave from Chicago State now, and have joined the wonderful folks at UIC. I have an adjunct appointment in the Political Science Department. Teach in the area of Homeland Security, Emergency Management, American Politics.
1: Very good, that's our group tonight. Let's go to Brian, listening to us in Roselle, Illinois. Go ahead, Brian, you're on the air.
7: Oh, hi, you surprised me. I wasn't hearing anything. Uh, you know, this problem of cybersecurity, the point I wanted to make is, What are the tech giants? We're having
1: a hard time hearing you. Go ahead.
7: What are the tech giants doing to help solve problems? You know, Google,
4: Microsoft, Facebook, telecoms, they're sitting on hundreds of
7: billions of dollars in profits. What money are they chipping in to solve the
2: problem? Not, not enough. enough. Yeah, <laughs> That's exactly. Like, In unison. Yeah, <laughs> you have broad bipartisan uh, support yeah. for that. Yeah, not not nearly enough. And they're, you know, it kind of goes against their own interests to sink a lot of money into those problems because, you know, whenever you think about data, you got to think about the confidentiality of it, the integrity of it, and its accessibility. And for them, they thrive and they make money on that accessibility. How accessible is your information to them, to their partners? to, you know, their network of information sharers. Um, so while it's important, of course, to maintain high cybersecurity internally because they don't want another scandal, um, they're not spending nearly enough to, you know, look out for the best interests or the public interests.
10: Facebook can't even figure out how to make your privacy settings stick. Right. They're, they're not going to be able to do this. And I think to Peter's point, data mining is their whole business model. Right. That's right. how they are mm-hmm. the multi-billion, trillion-dollar valuation companies mm-hmm. that they are, is being able to go through and mine everybody's data. If you mine someone's data, or everybody's data, as the case may be, by definition, you have to have a breakdown of walls right. and a breakdown of security.
1: You were saying earlier, Josh, that th- there isn't coordination between the states, and there isn't coordination between the states and the federal
3: government. That's correct so so who's in charge well that's i mean that's 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 a great question and it highlights a big problem there are now all 50 states have data breach notification laws in place primarily through the secretary of state uh, it could be through the Secretary Border of State
1: registration, or it
2: could be Because through... there was
1: a breach in Illinois in 2016 was one of the states where
3: they had gotten, some, gotten through to something.
2: There's right. a high variance among the laws for sure in the states.
3: Yeah, a- absolutely. So there's a variance in the laws. And at industry conferences 12 years ago that I would attend and sometimes be on panels at, everybody would predict that we're going to have a federal, national cybersecurity breach notification law this was back in the Bush era
4: and when did that get passed
3: it hasn't Why Which not? Is because Washington is so dysfunctional I mean it but who but who what
1: a what in, what interests are keeping it from being passed either by Republicans or Democrats because each has have been in control of Congress while well, this has been a problem
10: it's not we'll a crisis, it. it's inertia. I think it's inertia and ignorance, right? Wouldn't you say? I mean, I, well,
3: I think, it's, I, I think it's mostly that. You've, you've got the,
4: the political side of it as well. And the political side, unfortunately, in a very polarized political environment that we have, neither side is going to want to work with the other to give the other a win. Because this is a bipartisan issue. Democrats aren't going to want to, to uplift Republicans, especially in a continuous election cycle. So until there is crisis where they're both sort of forced to to work together we're going to get yeah. nothing
8: mm-hmm. and
3: and that's a the, I, I agree with you in large part phil and i would say this there are other issues which there should be broad bipartisan consensus to get things done like infrastructure mm-hmm. infrastructure and cybersecurity, ought to be no-brainers but no, neither party and i'm not blaming <clears throat> just one side or the other they don't want to help each other.
2: I'll blame one side, um, and I hate to inject some politics into our very, you know, we're want to say wavelength so far with cybersecurity, but, you know, (laughs) I think Mitch McConnell is a disgrace to Kentucky, he's a disgrace to the Senate, he's a disgrace to the country, and he is single-handedly stopping at least five, I count seven, but five bipartisan measures to improve our election cybersecurity from moving. He has told his colleagues that he will not call any of them Despite the fact that some of his colleagues on, you know, who bear the to their name were the ones who were principal drafters, so if we have the special counsel, who you know, as everyone knows, is a Republican, and you know, Trump's own director of the FBI, his own appointed director, say that there's a huge problem around, you know, cybersecurity with respect to our elections, and we can't have the majority leader call a single bill, including bipartisan bills, to improve cybersecurity, what? What will it take? It's kind of, like, what will it take? Peter, what what
3: is McConnell's motivation in doing this? Do you know? Uh, The
2: benefit, his oath to the Constitution, the benefit to the country, the integrity of the election, the fact that everyone who has had privileged information and seen the intelligence about efforts to undermine our election has said that the attacks will continue and intensify in 2020. So he's got an oath to the U.S. people and the Constitution. But, But my
3: question is, why isn't he?
2: I mean, candidly, because I think he is, A, he has significant conflicts of interest. He's accepted money from the two biggest election uh, machine Machine manufacturers. manufacturers. There's Mm -hmm. two of them. They control or sell 80% of the machines. He's collected money, you know, donations, but every congressperson does, you know, get money from them and others. But the big issue for me is it's a partisan, it's partisan hackery. This will not improve. His or the Republicans' chances and therefore that's the end of it. It's the same reason that he didn't give, you know, Judge Merrick Garland as much as a meeting, but has openly said that if Trump wants to nominate a new Supreme Court justice in twenty twenty, his election year, bring it on. It's the same thing. I think
4: think he has to he would then have to admit if he brought any of these bills to the floor, he'd have to admit that there was a problem. And he'd have to it, it would cut into the I think part of the narrative of, oh, no, that Russian thing, that wasn't that bad. I, I think to some degree, well, one, right?
1: but, but it goes back, and this is something you and I have argued uh, for the last you know, almost a year on this program, Peter, and that is when I look at the problem with the 2016 election, I go back to whose watch did this happen on? It didn't happen on Donald Trump's watch. It happened on Barack Obama's watch. Amen. And the answer, and the answer is always, well, Barack Obama didn't do anything, Because uh, he got all the the leaders of the House and Senate together, and they were going to collectively uh, alert the American people that this was going on, and that Mitch McConnell was the one that stood up and said, no, you're not going to do this because the American people are going to believe that this is a conspiracy
3: to help Hillary and, 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 and hurt Trump. You're talking about after Bruce. What the the problem is? This is after they discovered Russian meddling. Yes. But what was the Obama administration doing to prevent it? We Why didn't, did it happen on know, their watch? We, we don't did know. But we, do, but we
1: do know that that one of the key people in in his national security, they were letting people know. They were letting the White House know, and it was Susan Rice who told this guy to stop. It was like he was like the cybersecurity expert. For the president of the united states and he was told hey we're not going to bring this yeah. up we'll deal with it after the election but again the, the democrats have said that it's an example of mitch mcconnell standing in the way of letting the american people which i say to which i have said the hell with mitch mcconnell if you're the
3: president of the united states you make the decision there was already a hack that had happened in 2015 the office Oh, of personal see. management oh, yep. was hacked. Hacked. yeah okay and what so, was the Obama administration doing did they allocate 19 billion dollars like the Trump administration has which we all agree is not enough to cybersecurity? I bet it was a paltry amount so I I mean
4: to blame Mitch
3: go. McConnell for this seems a bit much
4: well for the for if the you want to find piece.
3: out why certain things aren't done, you
1: have to go to the person who was in charge of moving some legislation. In this case, it's Mitch McConnell. I'm Bruce Dubon, 1-800-723-8289, 1-800-723-8289, back shortly from Chicago. So.
0: Hi, I'm Ryan Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen, now playing at the Royal George Theatre. Do not miss it.
8: Millions estimate their benefits online, so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at SocialSecurity.gov. Bruce
1: Sumont back in, in Chicago and uh, gentlemen uh, we'll start with you uh, Peter on this one is uh, you've told the story about everyone has agreed the, the, the Russian involvement in the election was widespread it's likely to be widespread again which mm-hmm. is what we're talking about this evening then you have these breaches as you re- referenced in in Baltimore and other things in, in private enterprise I mean is the is there any is this all tied together I mean are, are the Russians responsible for what happened in Baltimore I mean aren't they the suspected hackers you could the say, first mentioned on, on anything that happens in the world
2: yeah I mean you could say the NSA is responsible for what happened in Baltimore because it's tools that we created that got hacked by whomever that ends up in the public domain. But what we could attribute a lot of- well, 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 I'm gonna go back to that. Sure. I wanna make sure you, you're
1: saying that it was the NSA programs that yes. were hacked.
2: The NSA, NSA has tools that could be used against other states and other, you know, basically there's a Microsoft Windows exploit that the NSA discovered. They did not report it to Microsoft because they realized that a lot of computers, including computers that run infrastructure type programs, sit on Windows systems. So they built an exploit, it was in a package of tools. That package was compromised and some hacker group said basically, put it on the market and they said, for a million dollars, we will give you these tools. No one paid, obviously that would upset the NSA, so they just made them public. So now any Joe Blow with a computer and you know some comp, you know half comp sci degree can figure out how to use them and if your Windows computer isn't updated, you were susceptible, so I don't obviously attribute that to the NSA, but I'm just saying if you if we really want to go back to the source, the tools were actually they're NSA branded, so, NSA it does,
1: so it doesn't have to be Russia. You it don't Russia. it could be anybody. And by way, when, when the way, when the president made the comment, you know, uh, during the campaign a couple of years ago, when he talked about you know it could be a 400 guy, you know, in the basement, you know, uh, living with his mother, uh, as to who was responsible for the, the breaches involving Hillary Clinton's email. I mean, what is it? Uh, where are we right now in so far as t- t- discussing what other nations what are the uh, other nations because he said it could be china it could be south korea it could be how Uh-oh. many how it, many right? nations how many nations out there whether they're nations that generally support us or do not support us how many nations are we talking about that are potentially suspects for this type of activity it, suspects for the the Suspects breaches. who have the ability to do this.
2: Any any nation states. Any, any nation any. that I think we militarily um, outpow you know overpower, which is all of them, and any mm-hmm. nation that has a very high education level with a lot mm-hmm. of people who have engineering and computer degrees. You kind of there you go. I mean, that's a lot of Eastern Europe. It's a lot of Russia. It's China. It's North Korea. Um, There's pockets in South America. So, I mean, the thing about cybersecurity warfare is it's completely asymmetrical. And part of the the goal isn't just to disrupt or destroy your opponent, but it's to conceal your origin. And all the folks who are in this game are, you know, really good at that. So it leaves us in this situation where the conversation becomes political.
1: If a North Korean missile blows up, um, are we responsible for that? If something happens in Iran where um, something happens with their nuclear reactors, are we responsible for that? I mean, it, ha- it literally it has happen. it's happened. It's with happened, which yeah. sucks.
4: Um, yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, that it, was the
2: U.S. Israeli operation. And it was yeah. a successful one. Okay. And, and yeah. you know, had merit. Like so
1: so we're doing it. Of course. Yes. If we're doing it, then it must be okay to the rest of the world? <laughs> well, we should be doing it. I mean, everybody's doing it. we're doing it, if we're doing it and we don't have our defenses up,
4: and that's, why should we suspect that there's other nations in the world that wouldn't be doing the same thing? And that's the thing, Bruce. I think that that we spend a lot of our effort on offensive capabilities, and that's great. We've got to have the ability to to exert our influence, our power, whatever we're going to do. But the problem is, I don't think we spend nearly enough on the defensive capabilities. Right. <laughs> Because we're the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Going against Russia in a, in a technological battle like this, this is 20th century technology, generally. They've got 21st century thinking and ability to attack us, but they've got no infrastructure for us to really
7: attack.
4: Right. Does Putin, in your view, does he have the ability
1: to shut down hacking from former Soviet uh, satellites?
10: Shut it down completely? No. No. But the bigger so issue. They're out there. No, but the bigger issue, as the Mueller report showed, is that they again are actively engaged as a state against us. But the, the, here's right. the point though. So are we. There's maybe less mm-hmm. for us to do, but I mean we can't throw up our lily white hands in horror and go, Oh my right. goodness, I can't believe somebody's trying to interfere with American elections. What do you think the CIA is doing every day? they were doing it too we've just got
4: to get better exactly ourselves
10: yeah and (laughs) doing it offensively too i would argue
1: can we do it better without the involvement of a substantial number of people who are foreign born who live in this united states or who want to immigrate to the united states do we have to import the brain power that can help win a cyber war. Well,
10: there's plenty of brain power here. I mean, we were you were talking about is it earlier. There enough you brain were, power? Well, you were talking about it, the Googles, the Facebooks and so forth. The brain power that exists in Silicon Valley and suburban Boston, even in here in Illinois, there is brain power to do that. It's it's a matter of will, as we've been talking about. Does since everybody the
2: beginning agree of the show. with that? I, I think we have more than enough brain power, but we need to mobilize it. We need to mobilize it either legislatively or on a policy level or have the candidates or the president say that this is a priority. The the problem
3: is is that Facebook and Google are going to pay these folks a lot more than the government will. And so it's a matter of budgets and will and things like that. So what
1: you're saying, Peter, and then we're going to have to break, you're basically saying that President Trump should draw a line in the sand and make cybersecurity and the protection of voting in 2020 a priority of this country.
2: I think if he knew the difference between right and wrong, he should, but he doesn't, so he won't. <laughs> okay, 1-800-7- 1-800-723-8289, <laughs> and this Little.
1: is a semi-bipartisan discussion this evening, 1-800-723-8289. end. we are going to continue this discussion in the next hour, and then we'll also talk about some other issues involving privacy, and also uh, something that the President spoke about last week, and that's the Second Chance Act, giving those ex-offenders an opportunity mm. to find jobs when they get out I'm Bruce Dumont back shortly, thanks for joining us on Father's Day 2019.
0: Hi, I'm Ryan Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen, now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it.
8: Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at
11: socialsecurity.gov.
9: Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through conserve battery power, switch mobile phones and devices to power saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, Go to FCC.gov emergency.
5: My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion.
6: I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family.
7: America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives.
6: I'm
8: a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home.
7: At DAV. we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.
1: Bruce Dumont back. Hour number two continues with Beyond the Beltway from Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us. Let me mention to some people who may be listening or watching uh, this evening, uh, every once in a while, the radio show that you're hearing is different than the TV show uh, that you are seeing. In most cases, it's the same show. But tonight, for a variety of reasons, the video version of Beyond the Beltway was a different topic, a very good topic, on um, the subject of illegal immigration. But again, that's uh, if that answers a question for people who have written that they are confused by what they're seeing and hearing tonight. And speaking about being confused by what you're seeing and hearing, let's deal with another issue which is which is an integral part of the the cyber security discussion that we've had in hour number one and that gets back into something that obviously the Russians were involved in and that is disinformation campaigns in other words mm-hmm. these are these are the feeds that are coming into our Facebook they're coming into our email they're coming through us in a variety of digital ways uh, and I'm gonna start with you Nick on this matter How does the average person decide whether or not information that they read on the Internet is truthful or not, or whether it it might have been
10: created uh, by someone in Russia? Oh, it's getting harder and harder. And even though you've got organizations like Facebook that are trying to label news one way or another, or Twitter, the same sort of thing, it's still a complete uh, open season. It's very difficult for even discerning readers. To tell the difference. And unfortunately, not to mean any disrespect to the American population, but many people are not discerning readers. So it is a really serious issue. The other thing that's coming now that maybe is where you're going next with your question, is some of these deep fake videos. Have you seen some of those, though? Yes. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. That is frightening. I mean, I've seen, obviously there's some where, I think you've got various world leaders who are basically singing John Lennon's Imagine, but the amount, how you can get through artificial intelligence video to have world leaders saying things you know i i keep bringing all of these scary scenarios out here the electromagnetic pulse but you could have anybody saying anything and you could launch world wars because of it
4: phil beverly i think it's uh i think it's sourcing i mean i think about how i get my news and i get a, a sort of variety of sources and some i go oh to use the president's term, oh, fake news. I, I know that that's not a source that I would trust for news. And I, I know this sounds elitist given the, the social media culture that, that we live in, but I would invite people, don't get your news from Facebook.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I, but I, if I, you're under 20, you do.
10: Exactly.
4: You're not gonna fight that. And. And I have to say, from from my industry, we have failed as an educational system, if that's the case, Mm. because we haven't taught critical thinking and analytical reasoning enough Mm -hmm. to people, even if they don't go to college, up through high school, to to figure out where do you get information from, and then how do you process that information? Josh,
1: good answer? And by the way, some of these things that are suggested, uh, some of them might be outrageous, But a lot of these things are are just, they've got a kernel of of truth to them. So it gives them some degree of, of credibility and believability.
3: And as artificial intelligence gets more and more sophisticated, this is going to be even more of a problem. I think Phil is spot on with this comment. This has got to be addressed in the educational system. We've got to teach better critical thinking skills in this country and it's up to the educators not just at the college level but at the elementary school middle school and high school level to address this because otherwise as nick said we could have a world war start over a fake video
2: yeah i mean i, I yeah. want to echo what everyone in this uh, in this group has said i think you know the most alarming thing is some of the the gifts of the enlightenment you know empirical empiricism empirical thinking critical thinking We're seeing them sort of evaporate because all of our attention spans, those above 20 and below 20, are diminishing. We've been conditioned to just consume bites, bites, little like noshes of things. And when those noshes have, you know, just that, what you said, Bruce, that little like trace of credibility, it's like the whole thing is probably going to be credible. But I want to remind everyone that. You know, your news is only as credible as the source that is conveying it. And frankly, the, you know, nonsense on Facebook and Snapchat and every other social media platform can be generated from anywhere. And, you know, there's there's a bill that's unfortunately languishing, the Honest Ads Act, Senate Bill 1989. <laughs> I knew this going to come back no, to it's McConnell. I, would, I know <laughs> it. No, no, I no. just could but see it coming. I would say that this is, this is the type of legislation we want to see. The Honest Ads Act would require any technology platform that, provides news or passes along news, um, you know, media within its media structure, has to disclose the source. Simple. It's a simple and, you know, kind of obvious thing that you, kind of blows my mind. And I think Brian asked earlier, what are these companies doing? You know, they don't need a bill. They don't need a law to do this. They can do it now, but they won't because that cuts the bottom line.
3: I I mean, I I agree with a lot of what uh, Peter said. Uh, Absent the blaming... All I of that is on, says, it, on Mitch, McConnell. Mitch McConnell. I didn't uh, say his uh, name. You, you feeling look, guilty about well, Mitch? What, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this question. To, to, to what
11: extent...
1: <laughs> this is let, about let, let me, but, but let me ask you this. To what extent is the mainstream media playing into this new environment of news gathering and communicating news? Are they making things better because they're more partisan? Or are they making things more difficult because they're partisan?
3: I think they're making things more difficult, not only because they're more partisan, but because they're getting in the gutter with some of these news sites which are peddling in fake news. I mean, we ought to be able but to... Isn't the, but but aren't you describing something
1: that's bad business? I mean, when, when you look at the numbers of at CNN, that looks like bad business to me. That looks like that, that an advertiser. Why would you buy advertising on CNN when their audience is so minuscule, unless you're going after the sliver of of audience and you have a product that is going to be appreciated by people that hate Donald
2: Trump? I mean, I've seen Trump ads on CNN, so obviously he thinks that he, there's some people to reach. Well, but-
1: there there are some people to reach, but I'm saying is, when when you're trying to decide where you where you want to find the truth. Where where do you go to Bruce, find the truth? Bruce,
10: so media, dealing with the media, this is what I do for a living. Yes. Okay? Unfortunately, there are no objective media no. anymore. Again, no. it may be media that agrees or that I agree with with their editorial slant. Right. You know, it might be the Wall Street Journal editorial page. It might be Fox News. It might be whatever. But, again, that's slanted as well. There is no objective attempt at news. There is all, it is all, to some degree, advocacy journalism when it comes to politics. And I think to ask, answer your question except a couple of minutes the ago, except for maybe we only the Bentley, have two on you each are, side. I know that's true.
3: That's you true. you, you are the are, only we, one. We need more of you. We this. need more yeah, of you. I mean, Absolutely. We don't have enough. 100%.
10: More Bruce Dumont. That's what we need. We
1: more. Maybe just, you know, <laughs> just Expand a little <laughs> bit. No, but that is a real problem.
3: For, for the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal, to me, is what news media ought to be. It Its editorial page is clearly conservative. But you know what? Its news page is right down the middle. And we don't see that with the New York Times, unfortunately, no, no. or the Washington I mean, I, Post. No. I want I to talk agree, more but.
1: about your point about deep about uh, deep fake videos, because I want to talk about who is responsible for overseeing that. Is it just the big uh, the big tech companies, or is there a role for government? One, and believe me, I hate to say that, 1-800-723-8029 <laughs> from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont.
5: My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion.
6: I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family.
7: America's veterans are on their most important tour the tour of their lives.
6: I'm a veteran.
8: My victory was going from homeless to home.
7: At DAV, We all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.
1: Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. And again, uh, we're we're talking about uh, these uh, fake videos. And this is where basically uh, the digitally creative can put any word that they think of into the mouth of anyone uh, if they've got a piece of video uh, or just even a photograph. Uh, Just incredible things that they can do. And my question before the break is, Is there something that government should do? I normally don't look for government responses to things, but is this something that uh, the government should be involved in? Let me ask a conservative Republican.
10: The short answer is yes, I think, but in a very limited way, because right now you've got Google and Facebook and these other platforms that are essentially unregulated, almost completely unregulated. There's a tremendous amount of power there, but now that's one of the reasons why they're so effective. That, and effective not only as businesses, but effective in transforming Elizabeth
1: lives. Warren thinks that Facebook should be broken up. Do you agree with that? I don't think that's the way to go. Do you, does, you know anybody, does anybody agree with that at the you, table? You, you know what? I'm going to
3: say something here. I'm a Republican. You are. And I usually don't agree with Elizabeth Warren on anything, but I think we got to take a good, hard look at break at whether Facebook, Google, and other big tech companies should be broken up. Because right now... Do, they're doing more damage to our society
4: than they're doing good. So yeah. what if what if we no. went sort of the other end of the continuum of options and looked at how can you incentivize them to do what you'd want them to do?
3: That's exactly my point, is by threatening to break them up, perhaps you incentivize them. Yeah. You get them. their attention. Peter, do yeah. you think they should be broken up?
2: I mean, I think uh, I think something should be done. I think Facebook probably will meet its own end, just as, you know, the the people who use it get like older and find it less cool and move to other platforms, mm-hmm. its stock price will go down. It will kind of turn into the next MySpace in time, exactly. although it is <laughs> a huge, you know, huge multi-billion dollar company. But I think right now what we have with Facebook is we have this organization that's both like vertically controls the chain of information and horizontally controls and pulls in different pieces of information. So we don't really know when something comes in from Russia and enters the pipeline and gets streamed to billions of people. You know, it becomes impossible, and Facebook by design makes it impossible to source that and to provide us with the transparency we need. But with with the ability
1: that that exists right now, and again, uh, it's world leaders singing Imagine, I mean, it's kind of a a fun thing right now. Mm. But my question is, if if you have, uh, uh, I'm thinking what I've said, you know, for the last several months on this program, if you're looking for the road to re-election, you're going to look at Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, just because uh, you know the, the switch of a few votes or, or less than 100,000 votes, uh, that was, that's the difference between President Trump and uh, President Hillary Clinton. So we know, based on 2016, we know where those swing votes are, and they may be in other areas, but they're definitely going oh. to be in those four states. So if we don't get control over this new ability, what would what would it take or would it make sense that 24 hours before election day there's some digital video that is that's placed out there that has a well-known person who is loved by the people in that district endorsing Donald Trump or Joe Biden or someone else for president? Certainly. Because by the time they catch up, it's it's like the yeah. old thing is you know if if you're in the news business you really should f- probably forget about everything in the last twenty four hours of a campaign because you can't track it down, but digitally I mean you could have on election day you could have appearing you know on, on and some of the stuff would be the, the story itself would be picked up on television
8: mm-hmm. certainly so that,
1: it would be on television yeah. it'd be on radio yeah. people would be responding hey. it'd be in all the digital platforms and here you've got Josh Cantrow. Endorsing Joe Biden for President of the United States, which will never happen. <laughs> well, I know. We okay. Wait, okay. Wait, he wait for AI. As a
2: Elizabeth Warren supporter. No, no, I think. no, no, no. By the way, a they little... have that. They're they they're they're,
1: they're 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 turning that right now. now. They're yeah. in Boston. They're going to have that endorsement <laughs> with you. Yes yeah. you said her name and something else in the same <laughs> sentence.
3: Well, well, they they would have that ability, and then I, I'd be assassinated tomorrow by, <laughs> by uh, my right wing friends. But, but, but here's the thing. Yes, Bruce, they could do that. They could also uh, disrupt the electrical grids if they want to in yes. those key states. There's a lot of things that could happen. But I want to go back to the responsibility, because we we're talking about the government, and there's bipartisan blame to go around. But the responsibility of these big tech companies, who in many cases are not meeting their responsibilities. It's not just Google, it's not just Facebook and Twitter, it's Amazon and the rest. Mm. There's a, there's responsibility that lies there as
2: well. Peter. Yeah, just one point, I think Josh is, is spot on. The thing is, this co- goes to a much deeper issue in America. These companies do not have you know a responsibility to the public, even though they act like basically utilities. They right. have a responsibility to their boards. They have a responsibility to their shareholders. Mm-hmm. So when you say like they're they're not, you know, they're not acting responsibly, they're corporations. They're acting like corporations. There are more regulations for ballpoint pens and magic markers being purchased by the government than there is for like election security. Mm. So this is one of the few places where I think Given the, the 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 risk of harm, the government does need to have some. It needs to be more than an incentive. It needs to be regulatory regulatory actions to make these corporations think about the public interest. Oh, I we guess do, what, we, do
1: what, we have uh, to do we have to think about antitrust laws?
2: Yes, yeah, antitrust
1: laws <laughs> really. <laughs> Look at Amazon. What, what are they controlling right now? Amazon, it's not just money,
3: right? Amazon is a monopoly. When you go and search for a product on Amazon, they're going to show you the Amazon products first. I mean that is classic, classic antitrust, and nobody's doing anything. Because about like
2: Facebook, it. it's really convenient, and it's become embedded in our lives to a degree that has basically paralyzed, like the popular outcry, and apparently just paralyzed our lawmakers. But and, you're right.
4: And with short attention spans, the length of time that it takes to enforce that that regulatory environment through, say, the court system, people have forgotten about it. By that time, Which, I, I want to ask you something about short attention spans. As
3: an educator, as a as a professor, oh. is that something that you are seeing more and
4: more every year among your students? Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's frightening to me. Um, we we want our students to to write better, for example, and I say to my colleagues all the time, they can't write because they don't read, mm-hmm. and they don't read because everything is is that was on the screen for. Three seconds, and now it's off the screen, and I'm on to the next thing. That's not what reading is. That's absorbing some bit of information without a context. And so, the, I, and I think their brains are being wired a particular way to absorb information that way, hmm. without the 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 infrastructure, if you will, to process it. Appropriately.
1: Are you, as a professor who is dealing with young minds, and have for the last what almost thirty years? Hmm. Are you pessimistic about the future of this country based on the educational quality of students that go through your institution?
4: Quality-wise, I think there's a, a normal sort of distribution. We have, uh, I'd say, 10% of our students who will succeed in spite of their best attempts to fail. They're, they're just mm-hmm. that good. It's the 80% in the middle that that worry me that if we if we don't reach them in a to me in the right way I don't know where we are 20 years from now because they're gonna be decision-makers 20 years from now that's frightening to me
1: out of every generation there has arisen a core of patriotic believers who will go fight our wars are they still there We talk about the greatest generation, and a lot of people would say that this is the greatest generation. Absolutely.
10: No, well, I would not agree with that. I think the greatest generation is the generation that at 17 or 18 went to fight Hitler and uh, Japan in World War II. That's the greatest generation without a doubt. But there are still, thankfully, thank God, there are still hundreds of thousands of brave young men and women. We don't have a draft. We're not currently in a hot war who enlist And it's not for economic reasons, when you have 3% unemployment, they can go get jobs elsewhere, who thank God put on the uniform and go protect our liberty and uh, fight for us overseas.
3: And I think what we need to consider in this country is enlisting those folks to help us fight this cyber war, Mm. because this is is just another aspect of, of military action.
2: I think it comes down to the Department of Defense actually reallocating its resources and reallocating the hard work and the efforts of those folks to spend less time, you know, going under barbed wire, and more time at a computer, learning how to defend our infrastructure. So, I
1: agree. with well, that. You, So you're saying yep. an aggressive program that goes and and search searches the potential hackers, and have them hacking for the United States, and it becomes a patriotic way to serve your country.
3: Well, well, mostly. D- and they defense. may be,
1: and they may be in their basement, and they may have maybe smoking pot or whatever. They're not going to school. They don't. They don't look like. Soldiers, but they are soldiers. They are soldiers, soldiers protecting
4: the United States. And, and but we, how can that, you do gonna that? Be, that's going well, to be tough because of yes. a, a military mindset, right? It, it's like the, the dichotomy between conventional forces and, and special operations or tier one forces. Right? Tier one operators think outside the box all the time. That's what they do, and the conventional folks hate that. So now you're going to bring in a group of people that by necessity are going to have to think outside of the box in in ways that aren't sort of military. So maybe it's not the military that needs to to invite and recruit who does it? these people. in our structure who does it? Is is it academia? I mean
1: who? I mean who defines who defines who these people are and how to engage them in I would say fighting for the good guys. I mean, mean, we have to define who the good guys are, and there's a lot of people out there that no longer define the United States as part of the good guys, and and many of them unfortunately are living in this country. I think
3: it's got to be a separate branch of the military, and just like you were recruiting with the posters for the Marines, and you had those patriotic ads and the pamphlets and all of that stuff, we recruit the best and the brightest. For a cybersecurity defense unit that is under the military command of the United States. But we States. don't. We
1: don't call them the best and the brightest. Well, that means different. That means a different thing. Okay. <laughs> we call them something else. Something but again, else. but you've, you've got to get something them in those case. Are The astronauts. We've got to pause. One 723 from coast to coast and border to border. It's Father's
9: Day, two thousand nineteen. Thanks for joining us tonight. Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines Call 911 only when necessary and limit non emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power switch mobile phones and devices to power-saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, Go to FCC.gov slash emergency. Gustav back in
1: Chicago, thanks very much for joining us. Um, we've been talking about cybersecurity, and uh, I want to talk about the Iran war and whether or not the Iran war is inevitable. Do you think it's inevitable?
4: No. As much as this this administration, especially with, with uh, Bolton sort of, Rattling the saber, we've we've got to understand we cannot fight Iran militarily. They're not gonna they're not gonna step up to that fight because they know they lose that fight. They'll fight us asymmetrically. They'll fight us in a number of ways through this Oh yeah, I I'm convinced that some things would happen in our country that eventually would be traced back but how is that now, any different than what they're doing now that's the thing
10: and with uh, blowing up the tankers in the straits of Hormuz, moves too. we
4: don't know that the, i i'm not convinced that the iranians did that I, i'm this idea that somehow they're just crazy
8: you know what yeah uh, uh, no been very... they're not they've
4: been very strategic yeah. and i don't think that and understand Do I want regime change in Iran? Yeah, and I think probably 60 million Iranians do as well. Mm -hmm. And the last time we had regime change that the United States was involved in was when we overthrew a democratically elected government in Iran. Mm -hmm. So there is some reason that they may not trust us around this whole regime change thing. So let's be clear about we screwed that up in the 50s to start with, right? Well,
1: let's let's go back to our discussion now, Okay. We've seen the pictures of the tanker. We've seen the pictures, allegedly, of Iranian uh, troops or, or Iranians um, taking things off the ship. IRG. We've mm-hmm. looked at all this stuff. Are we looking at real pictures? Especially, I mean, what, what is your what is your what is your answer to the question? Because I, again, you're very close to this. I mean, you're 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 very supportive of the state of Israel, and you and you really worry a lot about Iran, I do. but I mean, is, is is what we think Iran is doing, that the president says they're doing, do you absolutely positively believe that that's happening?
3: I, I don't know that I can absolutely positively believe it, but I tend to believe it because Iran is a country that is in Lebanon, it's in Syria, it's adventurous, and it does these kinds of things. Uh, so I, I tend to believe it, but I also agree with Philip that I don't think we're headed toward war with Iran because Iran knows that that would be a fool's errand to uh, engage the United States in a war, in, in terms of a military war. Cyber war is already happening. But that Peter, doesn't mean. But that doesn't
10: mean the U.S. isn't going to attack iran right
3: oh it militarily could, and that's a
10: fool's errand as well yeah that's uh, what well, that, a war doesn't have to be started by them it should right. be started by us it, it and that, how many more tankers right. do they allegedly have to blow up how much more cyber warfare do they have to do before that becomes the real option
2: peter no i mean i agree with everything that everyone said i i don't think a war i don't think we're going to war i don't think wars are fought the way they have been fought historically i mean like 50 60 years ago i think that our 17 intelligence agencies in the intelligence community are hard at work acting against Iranian interests right now to protect our allies in the Middle East, Israel, and to ensure that our assets in the Middle East are safe. Um, But I don't think Iran is in a position where it basically is ready to self-destruct and thrust itself into a a regime-change situation. But Um,
1: but historically, pictures and interpretation of pictures presented to us... By the government, whether it's the Gulf of Tonkin, I you was name it. I, mean, Shooter, I mean, that's missile crisis. That's right. I mean, the, these are things that a, a picture is worth a thousand words. And if you have political uh, leaders yeah. that use those pictures to move public opinion, I mean, we know was, that
2: works. The Gulf of Tonkin was the first thing I thought of when, as Charles so did I. when I saw those pictures. I, I thought, this seems like it's directed towards getting public support. In that direction, right? Okay, and and I think they're so. Are, wait, are we
1: okay? So, getting back to the discussion of what's phony pictures and what's not, how are we supposed to react to that? Look at some We other- have to have trust. You have trust in your case, and I would say you have to have trust not only in the president. And there may be people at this table that don't have trust in the president. They have to trust the intelligence agencies. Why do you look at Bruce, it, look it's at what, the, it's what, look it's at what Josh evidence. was talking
10: about earlier, right? Well, it's what Josh was talking about earlier in terms of the adventurism of Iran. So if it right. walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's a duck, okay? That does that mean they're guilty of everything that bad that happens in no. the Middle East? No. Does that mean it, they're justifying an invasion or an, a, a no. military attack? And, no. And but I, it, but think... it means
1: that public opinion can be manipulated, sure. especially uh, sure, yeah. if we're talking about in the... In the in the cyber security discussion, like we've had this evening, you know, if we can put words in into a world leader's mouth, I mean, why can we not doctor pictures? I'm not saying that happened, but it seems Easily. to me that's I, a relatively I th- I think,
4: simple thing to do. I think we need to look at other evidence. I mean, this the, uh, the I think Norwegian tanker, yes. I think it was. There was some story that I, that I read that said um, crewmen on that ship said that they saw something fly by before right. the strike before the explosion which leads me to believe it was a missile strike ship to ship missile or something like a that torpedo, right, right yeah. and not a mine as the U.S is is claiming so it just it feels yeah. funny to me would would Iran set mines <laughs> in the Gulf of Hormuz absolutely would they do something th- like this I got to tell you the first thing the first people I thought of directly or indirectly was the Saudis because that's who they're in conflict with
10: False flag thing absolutely yeah. that's
4: not that's not implausible, <coughs> but I base my view that
3: it's Iran on the fact that they do things like this in terms of get involved in other countries so I, but but we don't really know at this point.
2: yeah, I mean the the new the news we get. And the intelligence that our leaders receive is only as credible as the sources. When I look at our leader, and I think you guys on the other side have to agree, our, I don't think our leader effuses trustworthiness. Absolutely. So, you know,
4: <laughs> Especially it, when he criticizes his own intelligence community on certain issues is and, it, and attacks his own law enforcement community. How am so I going to so trust them?
1: But, but let me ask you this, okay? I, I, there certainly is enough that the president has said That a lot of people, such as yourself, would question what the president said. I'm going to ask the other question because he has challenged American intelligence, okay? Uh, The intelligence agencies. And in my view, uh, with some degree of reason, okay? So I would say that if you're talking about agencies that were once headed by James Clapper, Or John Brennan, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they each have significant uh, tentacles in those agencies now. I would say, I would trust those agencies just as I would trust, as I would have a suspect, or I, I would have doubt about them rather. I'd have doubt about them just as I would have some doubt about President Trump. Bruce, let's go to would the right. Would you war. agree with that? I mean, let, let's I, I don't agree. Just go back. Uh, and get no, to this. I. I you think, think we John Brennan to... is is an objective? Uh, analyst of of military interpretive uh, I, comments. I think all the
2: people working for him do. I trust them. I trust, I trust them the intelligence professionals. That's what I trust, and not I mean, the
3: political appointees. That's not what we heard from your side no. after the Iraq War debacle, where they, the intelligence for about forty years have, we haven't heard failed. That. And everyone <laughs> on the Democratic side says these you know these agencies can't be trusted. Look at what they did in manipulating intelligence. So now we were supposed to trust trust them I think that the president has injected a healthy dose of skepticism into these agencies and I think it's a good thing actually I I agree and I think it's one of the reasons
1: why uh, a percentage of 62 million people voted for him because they had questions about the messages that they were being told by their administration whether it was weapons of mass destruction which Donald Trump talked about in his campaign whether you really believe it or not, he talked about it. He questioned U.S. intelligence and U.S. foreign policy. Well, I'd you, also you like
3: to say something about Donald Trump and, and his credibility. I know he exaggerates and he t- says things that uh, are exaggerated at times, but I'm going to make the case right here, and I was not a Trump supporter in the campaign, that he is in many ways the, mo- the most politically honest president We have had, in my lifetime, a president who made campaign promises and is in large
2: part delivered on them or has tried like hell to deliver on them. Donald Trump is a charlatan and a cult leader, plain and simple, (laughs) and a liar. That being said, he is a superb salesman. He has been able to sell 62 million people on him not being Hillary Clinton and him having some sort of vision. The only vision Donald Trump has is of himself. That's it. The U.S. government that he, the executive branch that he presides over, exists to help himself and his family. But you, and guys what were,
10: this, but you guys were talking earlier about leaving the intelligence community, the intelligence analysts. We never get a chance to see or hear what they have to say. It's all filtered through the names you were talking about, the Clappers and the Brennans. And it does, and the they can Brays choose to, to hear that. what they don't want it's, to you know, well, hear. Yeah. And they it, know, politicize. There's a certain amount but, that ends up, it's all but, politicized. But, but yeah. they're
2: gone, and there are new people there, and these intelligence No, but folks, whoever the political appointees are,
10: I'm talking about even including in the current administration, you don't get to hear. It's all filtered. That's so, the thing. Back to Bruce's question. Should we believe the intelligence community? Should we embrace it? We're not hearing from the intelligence community because everything gets... Filtered and Agreed. packaged to fit a certain narrative—the John Bolton narrative versus yeah. the John Brennan narrative—and right? it's also, I,
1: I mean, as as was used by the right in the past, and now it's used by the left, is if you question American intelligence community and their leaders, even based on some some rhetoric that comes out of their mouths as, as paid uh, you know advisors on, on national television, you are somehow un-American mm. if you don't believe the wisdom that comes out of Foggy Bottom or the CIA. And and the reality is, if you look at the history of the country, there is reason for the American people to be skeptical, to be skeptical. of the American intelligence community on all sides. We've got applause, we'll be back with more comments. I'm Bruce Dumont, 1-800-723-8029. When we come back, we're going to talk about Campaign 2020 ah. and the debate coming up. Don't go away.
0: I'm Ryan Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen. Now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it.
8: Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov.
1: Bruce Dumont back in Chicago thanks very much for joining us before we go off the air sometimes at the end of the program I get uh, rushed against the clock but I do want to say farewell to Sam Greenberg who was our engineer this evening he has been working on this show for about a year and a half he's moving on to bigger and better things and also we're welcoming a a new intern joining us this evening who's going to be assisting us uh, from DePaul University Bretta Hunig and we thank her very much for her help and she'll be here uh, for the next uh, hopefully long time helping us out. And we'll also have a new engineer next Sunday night. Uh, Folks, uh, we've gone uh, an hour and 45 minutes. We haven't talked about 2020. Uh, My question to you, uh, Peter Hanna, you have identified yourself as a Bernie Sanders supporter in previous uh, appearances on this program. Are you worried that there appears to be in the polls would suggest that uh, Bernie Sanders may be losing some luster to Elizabeth Warren.
2: Yeah, I mean, in in, uh, in the past, I, I think I it was clear that I supported Bernie over uh, Hillary. I think we have a, certainly many more candidates to choose from this time. So, you know, I still haven't cast my kind of final, final vote, but I do think that, you know, Bernie had his moment, as many of these candidates did in 2016. He, um, you know, I think that moment was... Affected by things beyond his control, Um, and now it's an entirely different ballgame. So I do think he is losing some momentum, and some of the other candidates are beginning to kind of come out there with, you know, a lot of excitement and policy talks that go a little bit deeper than what Bernie's been able to articulate. Mm -hmm. So I think it's still really early, um, but I'm excited for the party generally because there's no shortage of options all across the spectrum.
1: A couple of weeks ago, I was at the opening of the Elizabeth Warren office here in Chicago, and I was talking to some supporters that were there, who were obviously for uh, Elizabeth Warren. Most of whom that I spoke with uh, were Bernie Sanders supporters. Hmm. Some of them uh, had not thrown Bernie Sanders over overboard yet, but there was a feeling, as you've just stated, that you know he had his time, uh, that he was done, treated poorly by the Democrats, but that it may be time to look for some someone else. So this was at a organizing unit for. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, and uh, I, I think the polls have suggested that that softness that I saw mm-hmm. and that you referenced uh, may uh, may really exist. Yeah. And you and you you have endorsed her, uh, Josh. We should mention <laughs> uh, for those that just tuned in. Thanks, but Josh. If, uh, Thank you, Josh. Do, do, nice do,
4: know. Let, right. let me <laughs> let, let, me, put, out of the yeah. let uh, me put this
1: to our two Republicans. Uh, if Elizabeth Warren was the Democratic candidate and and uh, B- uh, Trump was the Republican candidate. Do you think that would be a competitive race, Josh?
3: I think it would be a more competitive race than if the Democrats put up Biden, who, in my humble opinion, is one of the dumbest men in politics. Why does Biden plagiarize so much? Because he doesn't have an original idea. He plagiarized in 1988, borrowing from Neil Kinnock, and just a, a week ago, the Washington Post documented. A number of plagiarisms that he's taken from other candidates. I may not have used that word correctly, Professor. Mm. I'm sorry. Mm, plagiarism. Um, I see the Democratic field playing out as this. I believe that Warren or Kamala Harris will be one of the candidates. I believe that uh, Pete Mayor Pete will be the the other. All three of them are smart people. They will do well in the debates. Biden. Air, we will not be talking about Biden probably in about four months. I
10: think okay. he's done. Uh, so, would it be Nicole. more competitive than what Hillary what, versus no, Trump? No, 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 no.
1: If uh, would it be more competitive than Bernie Sanders? If the battle at the top of the ticket at the moment is we're, we're going to put Joe Biden aside just for the sake of, of, of Josh's comments, but would you think that is Bernie Sanders? Is he stronger or weaker than Elizabeth Warren running against Donald Trump? Weaker.
10: But I think either way, whether it's either of these folks, whether it's uh, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, they would have a real shot against Trump if the economy were still the way the economy was before he became president. The classic Ronald Reagan question, are you better off now than you were four years ago? Most people in the United States would say they are better off than they were four years ago. And for that reason, somebody who's running principally to dismantle the current economic state of the United States is not going to win.
1: Based on what the first hour of this program was about this evening, and you were the one, you you, you scared the hell out of a lot of people <laughs> with the scenario You're welcome. That, 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 <laughs> that you painted. But... but If we have on one side, let's say the Democrats are talking about cybersecurity, and they're talking about what was in the Mueller report, Mm -hmm. and you have the Republican incumbent basically in denial over those realities, are the American people going to be served in a campaign where there isn't at least some common degree of agreement? On what the problem the country is facing? But they're not fixing. going to do
10: it. They're not even talking about it in the way you just characterized. You've got Trump talking about it. It's like my presidency is legitimate. I didn't no collusion, and the Democrats <laughs> aren't talking about it either, other than in the more wonky political circles that Peter but be- was talking But about. beyond just saying there's no collusion,
1: I mean the the the, the evidence suggests. That. I mean the the conversations that came out of here this evening. I mean you were the one that painted a picture. Of 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 cybersecurity of being a major threat it is and the leader of the free world doesn't appear to be taking Correct. it
4: seriously agreed and I, so and I'm Bruce, saying,
3: can he can he get away with that but, but I'm pushed back against that Bruce
4: yes
1: he,
3: he he's not taking seriously what he's saying and I wish he'd be clear about it is that I won the election legitimately Russia didn't help me he okay. has said that but his budget increases the cybersecurity he's created several agencies related to cybersecurity his administration is taking cybersecurity seriously the 20. the the forces
1: the forces that were engaged in 2016 that might have given some edge to Donald Trump are those forces still in effect for 2020 and and I'm saying any company or any country, whoever it is, I'm going to say it's the Russian. Without a doubt. Any entity yes. that wanted to get them elected is going to want him to be, be re-elected. To reelected. of course. Right? Absolutely.
2: effect with more force.
1: And, Bruce, here's... we're out of time. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to invite you all back. It was a great show tonight, uh, it was, it was almost completely nonpartisan. partisan
8: McConnell. Couple couple people,
1: except that, uh, Mitch Let's invite uh, Mitch next Yeah, Mitch. <laughs> Oh, I'd love that. Mitch <laughs> oh, and I, Peter. Mitch and Peter. To Phil Beverly and Thanks, Peter Hanna and uh, Josh Cantrell and Nick Combs, thank you very much for the assistance of the production of the program. Again, Sam Greenberg, thank you very much. I'm Bruce on Until next Sunday night, good night from sh- Chicago.
0: Hi, I'm Ryan Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen, now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it.
8: Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov.
9: Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through conserve battery power, switch mobile phones and devices to power saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, Go to FCC.gov emergency.
5: My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion.
6: I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family.
7: America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives.
8: I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home.
7: At DAV. We all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.